You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. In this CyberWire 2017 RSA Conference Special Edition, we wrap up our show coverage with insights from experts about the trends they're seeing, the products they're pitching, and where they think we as an industry need to go. Stay with us. For our regular daily editions of the CyberWire, we tell our guests that we like to talk with people who have something to say and not just something to sell. For this special edition, we relax that guideline just a bit. RSA is a trade show after all. But along with the product pitches, our guests give us their observations from the show and their views on where they think things are going. We begin with Mark Dufresne from Endgame, who I caught up with in the days leading up to the conference. We have a lot of people at Endgame who have a have kind of a, some lineages in you know offensive cyber, working for the U.S. government and a lot of red teaming experience. So we know what it takes to be successful as the adversary and can apply that directly to building our preventions. Um, and that goes a little further, kind of understanding the things that adversaries might try to do in, in terms, like what do they look for in an endpoint as they're doing their operations and how can we hide from them and uh, and kind of evade any attempts they might have to like signature end game and take evasive action to undermine Endgame's ability to collect and provide visibility um, to turn us off. Um, we're hardened in a variety of ways and stealthy in a variety of ways as we're doing uh, uh, doing our defensive operations to kind of uh, frustrate any kind of adversary attempts to, to undermine the capability. The platform is designed, uh, again, it's an EDR platform with incredibly powerful prevention capabilities built in. So and we're really we've been pushing this hard, addressing some some serious gaps in the EDR market, um, and kind of leapfrogging our prevention and detection capabilities beyond what's out there to detect, um, kind of with a layered behavioral approach to detection. Um, we are bringing out a, a capability that we call Artemis, an intelligent AI-powered bot to make this technology like accessible even to novice users. Um, so somebody can sit down at our platform, who never using an EDR platform, and truly has the power to stop nation-state-level attackers. You know, in you know, in less than an hour of of um, using it, we've seen people doing that. Um, it really it solves the the talent problem that the resource shortage people has, and also kind of brings down a security team's time to identify, investigate, and respond to threats. It, it may take some things from days all the way down to minutes with using Endgame. Um, you know, kind of relying on some of these very powerful detection technologies that we have in order to detect malware, prevent against zero days, um, stop fileless attacks, and you know, kind of kind of hit adversaries at every stage of their operations and make it very difficult for them to achieve their objectives. 
you know, everyone in the industry is now saying that signatures aren't enough to detect threats. That's absolutely true. Um, we think we have a unique approach to that signature problem. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of talk at RSA about you know streaming rules engine approaches to the problem, whereby a tool provides full visibility, you know, a mountain of data about what processes are doing and what users are doing, and there's some you know you can write rules on top of that. Things like hey, these the following six things that happen exactly in sequence might be indicative of a process injection. Um, that's great. I, you know, it's it's good technology. It's nice to do that, and I, I think it's good that a lot of that people are thinking like that. But there's some drawbacks with that type of approach. Um, in that they're they're brittle, they're difficult to set up, difficult to configure, um, and they they're kind of watching the problems take place still. So we have a, a kind of a unique view at solving problems like that, which are attempts to deal with things like fileless attacks and that sort of thing. Um, so we're going to see some rules engines and uh, and and some other things that are more behavioral that you know people should take a look at and, and think about how some of those techniques might not be quite everything we need. Um, the other thing I think we're going to see a lot of talk about is is uh, in memory only attacks, fileless attacks. Um, Kaspersky just did a, a good post last week about uh, trends in fileless attacks that are happening out there, things that don't use traditional malware and just and cause problems only in memory. Um, there are some emerging techniques to detect that, but all of those things have serious drawbacks and visibility gaps, a lot of what's out there. That's Mark Dufresne from Endgame. James Line is the global head of research at Sophos. We spoke on the show floor. We're all about simplicity, making things accessible and easy. And as a result, we appeal very strongly to small and medium-sized companies where, if they're lucky, they have a dedicated security person. But often they have what we often joke about as the only information officer. It's also the same person who's responsible for changing the printer and keeping the Wi-Fi on and dealing with a deluge of different user problems. So we work well in those environments because we're not you know, bombarding people with 50,000 alerts every minute to go chase down. We focus on the things that are really important, simple configuration, and technology backed by our labs that works out of the box. Of course, some larger enterprises are pragmatic about their approach to security and may find that valuable too. Uh, but certainly in, in small and medium-sized companies, that's really a sweet spot for Sophos based on that easy-to-use tech. I think a couple of the areas that I'm most proud of over the past 12 months and that tie into a lot of the research I've been doing and I'm presenting at the show here uh, feature around, around ransomware and anti-exploitation. Uh, exploiting systems using exploits or, or bugs turned to nasty purposes has been the driving force of most malware distribution, of most cyber criminal activity for the past seven, eight, nine years. And we've taken some, I think, really quite unique steps in thwarting exploits higher up the chain of attack to make sure that nasty code really never gets running, so you have to deal with the cleanup and, and so on and so on. Ransomware has been undoubtedly the, the most favorite campaign of cyber criminals over the past 18 months. It, it is prolific. There are so many different versions of it, so many different types of scam, and the quality of their implementation is improving all the time. Uh, I'm really proud of some of the technology we brought out in Incept X, where we generically thwart uh, a huge number of, of ransomware campaigns. And in the event that they do get in and start the encryption process, we're able to identify it behaviorally and roll that stuff back. So really, it's, it's continuing to do what we do best. It's finding the major pain points for small businesses, for medium-sized enterprises, 
the things that cyber criminals are focused on and building easy to use accessible technology that solves that problem for our customers. Uh, here at the show, looking around, what are some of the, the things you're seeing in terms of, of, of trends for the industry as a whole? Well, there's a lot of focus here on the tactical but important issues, like I just mentioned, ransomware. People have realized it's a big issue for, for companies, so of course it's, it's showcased here. There's a lot of focus as well on machine learning, adaptive learning, and the use of data science in driving better security. That's been a really exciting area that we've embraced um, over, the, over the past couple of years and is undoubtedly one of the big hot topics here. Um, and I think that probably will be one of the big hot topics over the next couple of years as well, because it can be applied to so many different areas of security, so many different types of user policy or, or detection at each of the layers. I think we're really only the, at the beginning of the journey uh, in application of that to security. That's James Line from Sophos. Emily Mossberg is a principal with Deloitte Cyber Risk Services. If you're a regular listener, you'll recognize Emily. She's been on a number of times. There's a couple of new offerings that we're launching while we're here. One is our new managed threat services, and the other is our digital managed identity services, really focusing on the fact that a lot of our clients and a lot of the enterprises are looking for more capabilities from a managed services perspective. So we've really been focused on developing those solutions and getting those out to market. Uh, one of the things around our digital identity service that we're really excited about is that it's not focused on a traditional enterprise identity solution, although it can be used for that, but it's really focused on an enterprise being able to offer that service for their end consumers and customers. So it's sort of bridging the gap between enterprise identity and consumer identity. So it's it's really exciting for us to be putting something like that forward and being able to change the conversation and talk more about consumer identity, which is something that seems to be really um, amping up because of the fact that there's so many new digital transformations happening, so many new applications that are being developed, mobility, cloud. So we really want to be able to bring something to the market that allows the enterprise to manage the identities of their end consumers. Um, looking at the show as a whole, as you, as you walk around, as you look at things, what, what are you seeing that's uh, catching your eye in terms of innovation? There continues to be a lot of focus on cloud transformation and CASB solutions. Uh, there continues to be a lot of focus on threat intelligence and actionable intelligence. One of the things, though, that I think is really the most important is the application security focus that we're seeing. And not that um, secure development lifecycle is new, but I think we're seeing a shift in terms of how it's being applied. Broadly, we're seeing a shift from, away from enterprise-focused insular security to how do we take our cyber risk requirements and our program and drive it into the products and services and innovations that we have as an enterprise, especially with the advent of the Internet of Things and connected products. There's a much more focus on how do we develop and innovate new connected products that don't open us up to new cyber risks. So how do we bring forward the cyber risk requirements into the innovation lifecycle and the product development lifecycle? And how do we then 
code, design and code these products and services in a secure way from from the get-go, as opposed to layering the security and the controls on after the product's already developed. So I think that's one of the things that um, we're seeing and hearing a lot about, and I think it's going to really take off in the next three to five years. You're going to see a transformation, if you will, uh, around the security function. As, as you look forward towards 2017, um, you know what's on the horizon. What are we? What kinds of things can we expect to see from Deloitte? We're going to have a more of a focus on infrastructure security and application security for a number of the reasons that I previously said. But what we really want to do is focus on helping organizations innovate in a secure way. So we're going to spend a lot of time and energy on application security and infrastructure security in order to enable that. Um, from an infrastructure security perspective, a lot of it is being driven by the cloud transformation that's evolving. You know, people have been talking about cloud for years. I think we're right now sort of in the capability curve where we're really starting to see more and more adoption. What that adoption means is that the traditional network design, the traditional network security and architecture is shifting. So we're seeing broad scale uh, network security evolution. So we're spending more emphasis and focus and innovation on new ways to do that. We're also focusing, um, as I mentioned, on digital identity, and I expect that to continue through 2017. What we're launching here at the show is really our first release of our uh, managed digital identity services, but we have a roadmap that's laid out over the course of the next year that's going to allow for version 2, version 3, and version you know, 4. So we're really focused a lot on that as well. That's Emily Mossberg from Deloitte. Mark Nunakovin is Vice President of Cloud Research at Trend Micro. He shared some of the trends he's been tracking at the conference. There's a lot of really interesting niche players. Um, there's some real uh, interesting work being done around malware hunting, um, which is you know sort of when teams are getting a little more um, aggressive and proactive within their enterprise. Um, I think that's really good for mature air enterprises, but there's a lot of basics that still need to be done. Um, but there's some interesting uh, work going on in that space. And then uh, there's a big push around leveraging sort of more um, advanced machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence um, techniques to security defense. And that's um, sort of there's people that are all flash and there's a lot of people who are substance as well. Um, but I think there's a lot of value to be had for uh, defenders uh, to invest in those types of technologies. And where are you all in that play in terms of machine learning and AI? Uh, it's something we've actually been doing for a really long time. Um, so Trend, traditionally, we're pretty quiet. We just kind of go about our business and try to deliver as much value to customers as we can. Um, but we started a new marketing campaign, and normally I shy away from the marketing stuff. I like to dive, you know, as a researcher, I like to dive into technology and organizational design. Um, but this year, we're really kind of getting a little more uh, assertive and talking about the fact that you don't need just one thing. So machine learning's great, and you know it's something I've been involved with for years, um, but it's not the end-all be-all. No control, despite what you'll see from some of the claims in the market, no one control is going to do everything. You need a set of controls. So even stuff that was effective 10 years ago is still useful, because it's really quick, it's really efficient, um, and it'll get you an answer whether something was known good or, or not, um, but then you know it's not perfect. So you need a series of controls, um, and I think that's a really important and pragmatic way of approaching security. You get the um, machine learning to take advantage of the, gr the grunt work and the, the really deep comparisons that humans aren't good at, 
And then it presents something unique and novel to get some of the creativity that people are really good at. And so that blend is what's effective because, um, you know, computers are great. You look around image recognition and, you know, trying to um, parse the meaning of text. Computers can understand words and translate them, but they can't tell you what it actually meant. So a person can look at a sentence and tell you what it meant. A computer could translate that sentence into any language on the planet, but it still can't tell you what it meant. So that combo is really important. This gap we have with having enough people to fill all the positions in the industry. Yep. Um, you know, where do you see it coming in that? Do things like automation, like machine learning, can they help close that gap? Absolutely. Um, so one of the challenges we have, just in automation in general, not even looking at the skills gap, attackers have been automated for a while, and yet we're defending manually. And, you know, anybody, even if you're not in the security space, you understand that's not fair. Like, that is not an even match. Um, and, you know, why not? Attackers saw an opportunity, so, um, you know, ransomware is a great example. People are like, oh, I'm never a, a, a you know, I'm not a, a target because I don't have anything of importance. Well, yeah, you do. You have something of importance to you. And the attackers won't target you specifically. They've simply set up a script to attack every open endpoint they find because why not? Right? Everyone they infect, they're going to get money back from, or there's a good chance they'll get money back from. So defenders need to start automating, and we're seeing that in the cloud space a lot more, where developers have automated. They're doing the whole DevOps trend where they're deploying new versions of the application 10, 20 times a day. Security needs to be just as automated, um, but specific to the skills gap, absolutely. If we can start getting um, better information to security defenders, we can make them more efficient. Right now, a big challenge for sort of traditional teams um, is when they're looking at a list of potential security events. There's 50 events on there. Maybe one or two of them actually deserve their time. We can use machine learning and automation tools to reduce that list down to only the one or two that need a person to respond. So what I'm seeing a lot, especially working on the cloud, is realizing, people are realizing along with that shift away from hugging the server and realizing they need to focus on their business, is that we need to change how we're applying security in that we used to have a security team that sort of at the end of the project said, hold on a second, you need to have this in place and this in place and you need all these wonderful controls. And we know bolting it on at the end isn't effective. Um, you know, you can close some gaps that way, but if you really want to be secure, everybody needs to understand that responsibility, which means as security people, we need to be working directly with those teams as they're building things and working directly with the business. So I know it's difficult for a lot of security folks because we're not necessarily the most outgoing, um, but we need to change our sort of perspective and get there and be talking more, be communicating more, and be educating people because then we can get involved earlier and make sure that it's less of a headache for everybody. And that way we'll all be more secure because you know the criminals are starting to collaborate. Right? They're offering crime as a service. You know, you can get the latest botnet for about 7,500 US an hour. Um, and you can take down massive providers yourself. This is a business. We need to, uh, you know, crime is a business. We need to make sure that we're collaborating internally as well as with our peers to make sure that we're defending as a team um, because security is very much a team sport. That's Mark Nunakovin from Trend Micro. Levi Gundert is Vice President of Intelligence and Strategy at Recorded Future. We spoke right after the RSA conference about his take on the show, specifically in the area of threat intelligence. There seems to be a lot of focus this year on, on analytics and uh, a fair amount in sort of the artificial intelligence space, or at least the buzzword. Those sort of seem to be the, the themes that I caught just walking the, the trade floor. There's obviously been a, a real need to focus on intelligence that's useful to the enterprise and the business. And... You know, companies go about doing that a lot of different ways. Uh, but I think in general, you know, that was the message that was really trying to be communicated by, by all of the vendors in, in the different ways that they provide intelligence context was that 
um, these are the use cases, these are the scenarios uh, that we uh, provide value into that will actually be you know, useful to the business and applicable to the business. I think we're seeing a much wider adoption of cyber threat intelligence across a lot of different industry verticals. I think the days of you know, speeds and feeds are largely over. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with feeds at the operational layer, but certainly folks don't want to be paying enormous amounts of money to, to vendors for, um, for feeds of indicators of compromise. That's just that's a thing of the past, and I think you know, that was very evident in the show this year. Yeah, so the value in threat intelligence is really, you know, how do we buy the right controls or how do we build the right controls? And that's really the strategic analysis of risk. You know, where where in the organization is there potential for loss, real loss to the business? And then, you know, how do we address that with the right the right security controls? And so that's really the primary value proposition of threat intelligence. You know, the secondary sort of ancillary value is how do we improve our controls? You know, how do we test the efficacy of current controls and improve those controls? And that's sort of the operational component of threat intelligence. But at the core, it's, it's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to do cyber threat intelligence well and to provide consistent value into both of those areas. There's a lot of different approaches, but you know, obviously having wide sources of information available to do analysis, uh, to then uh, produce intelligence into organizations of different industry verticals is, is really key. That's a key component. Uh, and I think you know being able to do that with with machines instead of humans is the only way that an effort really scales uh, to find the intelligence that, that it is going to be applicable to the business. I think where we have seen a lot of success is really in that combination of machine learning and human analysts, human analytical capabilities. And, you know, for a long time, a lot of folks have been talking about the, the pure play artificial intelligence and the promise there, but we haven't actually seen that come to fruition in, in the security space. And I think artificial intelligence is, is perhaps a bit of a, a, a stretch. I think machine learning is probably the right term to use here. My colleague, Stefan Trouvé, who's one of the co-founders of Recorded Future, he likes to say, artificial intelligence is not this magic potion or sauce that you just pour over data and it sort of magically becomes uh, useful intelligence. That's not how it works. You know, machine learning is, is a great capability and if you have good algorithms, it can certainly help take the brunt of some of that big data pain, you know, away. But at the end of the day, you still need humans uh, to to combine, you know, that effort with machine learning, and that's really where we're seeing success in in our product, but also as an industry, that's really where success is being driven. So, I mean, looking towards the future, what do you see happening in in the next few years? Where do you think things are going to go? It's always difficult to prognosticate on on things like this, um, but I think you're going to see more of machine learning. Um, and more of, of that combination of machine learning and, and human analysts. But I think you're also going to see a broadening of sources as organizations look for deeper and broader uh, technical information, human, in, human intelligence, signals intelligence. Um, there's, there's good data there, but sometimes it's hard to, to acquire that data. So I think, I think you're going to see businesses actually going after different types of data to fulfill some of their intelligence needs. That's Levi Gundert from Recorded Future. Carl Leonard is a principal security analyst at Forcepoint. Every year in the Forcepoint Security Labs, we predict the top 10 threats that might arise over the next 12 months. Uh, and in November of 2015, we anticipated that uh, the 
elections, whether that be the, you know, as it was then, the upcoming US elections, or those in other countries, there is opportunity for uh, those with certain desires to manipulate the voting machines, uh, to spread misinformation, to steal data from uh, the parties of various candidates or the candidates themselves and, and, and leak that and influence the election process and that of the, you know, the, the, the electoral base. Um, so it didn't really come as a surprise. Uh, what we're really looking to for this year, 2017, is to uh, highlight this and, and make sure that um, you know, governments that have upcoming elections, certainly around Europe, we've, we've got a lot of countries that are in election year this year, um, to make sure that they've really thought about uh, some of the issues that might uh, occur, and also raise awareness for, for members of the public. Mm. You know, don't always trust that piece of news on a, a social media site. Um, it's, sometimes it is hard. I, we, we kind of take it for granted as researchers to always understand the quality of the source and assign mm. a reputation to it. It's, uh, I know full well it's something that we researchers do uh, without even thinking about it. It's what we're trained to do. But for members of the public, it can sometimes be very difficult to trace back, well, where, where did that statistic come from? Where did that story come from? And then uh, realize that it, it, it's not true. Um, so, yeah, I think this, the, the spread of this um, you know, fake news on social media uh, will continue to be a challenge over the years. Um, there's been various proposals by different governments on how to regulate it. Uh, and ultimately, who is responsible for it and uh, who, who should manage it and who should retract that information. Um, lots, lo lots of things to be discussed. We, we, we do not know the, uh, we don't have all the answers as a, as a security community. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think um, other, uh, other governments have the answers, that they're still trying to figure this out as well, uh, make sure that they have a, an informed electorate. Um, yeah, but one of the big discussions of 2017, that's for sure. I think the complexity of attacks has been increasing rapidly for over a decade. Um, the type of attacks that we are seeing are very much as a result of malware authors building kits so that the, the, it's, it's the kit that has the complexity and the intelligence behind it, and then other malware authors can reuse that and almost inherit the skill set of the original author mm -hmm. of the kit. So the complexity will continue to increase. Uh, I think the industry is responding with you know, next generation approaches, uh, however those may be defined. Um, a, a lot of the attention uh, that I'm seeing, certainly at the show at RSA 2017, is around advanced machine learning and really understanding and being uh, predictive of a, of a threat, uh, looking at it early. So this is certainly what we're doing at Forcepoint to understand the behavior and the intent of actions so that you can uh, put that into a risk score. We, we, we literally rank incidents in terms of risk and alert uh, the businesses, our customers, as to which events to look at because we are, we are in the realms that you cannot protect uh, from all threats all of the time. Um, it, it's, it's the type of threats that... Um, 
you know, as we see often in the press, that you know, those are the ones that are launched at Saturday night uh, when all your analysts are out and your soccer's closed down and you're updating your, your VM machines and your analysis machine. That's when the attackers hit you. Um, so I think there's still lessons to be learned. Um, we've still got to understand that, you know, the TCP, the tactics, techniques and, and procedures that the malware authors are using and respond in a way where we can become more predictive uh, of the threats, intercept them early. Um, we have, at Forcepoint, have been using machine learning for uh, a decade now, um, trying to understand threats without ever seeing that threat before. Um, the, the industry is responding back with a vengeance. I think another real good thing to look at is the increased collaboration around the security community um, and with governments around the world. You know, we, we share threat intelligence with national search teams, uh, with government agencies, with law enforcement, and we've had some successes with that. You know, some of the botnets we've reported on have then been shut down. So this is a good thing for all of us. We, we'd much rather um, you know, those malware authors be, be brought to justice uh, we often forget that the, the, these are crimes, you know, ransomware, it's, it's a crime. Uh, it's an act to defraud individuals and extort them. Uh, we mustn't forget that. So really, the, you know, the, the focus on machine learning, the increased collaboration uh, uh, with peer groups within certain industries. People often cite finance as a great example of that, how they collaborate. Um, and then just, yeah, looking at the end user educating them, they're becoming more aware, they can help you. They're, they're part of your extended eyes and ears looking out for these threats as they will continue to evolve. That was Carl Leonard from Forcepoint. Next up is Evan Blair, CEO of ZeroFox. We spoke at their booth on the RSA show floor. ZeroFox is a social media and digital security company. We help organizations safeguard their corporate assets in the social media world. We help organizations protect their business where they engage with customers and recruit uh, new employees. And we help organizations protect their employees, their VIPs and executives, as well as all of their end, uh, end users or employees uh, across the globe beyond the network perimeter, beyond the device, across, into the social media land where we've obviously seen a new attack vector arise that is causing major problems from targeted phishing to uh, data exfiltration to social engineering uh, that, that really is, is impacting the ability for an organization to secure and safeguard uh, their operations. I think we hear an awful lot about email, you know, when it comes to phishing attacks, uh, ransomware and so forth, but um, there doesn't seem to be so much attention paid to social media. I guess from your point of view, that's a mistake. Yeah, it's definitely a mistake. And, and look, I, it's not a it's not a criticism that people are paying less attention to it. It's a it's a newer technology. Right? We, we've seen this with all technologies o over the years as they become adopted by the business as kind of core uh, core operational platforms. Security then follows. Uh, we've been in business for a little over four years now, and we've been signing up customers ever since we opened our doors. So it's not that people aren't paying attention. Uh, it's just that I think the the market dynamics are now shifting where people are spending more energy and focus on it because it has a much bigger impact on their revenue and their bottom line. And when anything impacts your bottom line, you're going to say, how do we protect it and safeguard that? And I think we've also seen some really high profile incidents of hacks and breaches uh, and targeted campaigns against organizations across social. But there is an interesting challenge here in that social media exists beyond the network perimeter. 
meaning it exists beyond the ability, traditional ability of security teams to see and manage and govern that interaction and that data flow. So it's not that there's less attacks on social. In fact, there's more attacks on social than on, on email or, or web platforms uh, that are successful. But we don't hear about them as much because, well, no one knew about them until they were already a problem, until the data was already exfiltrated. And forensics is very hard because social media is a real-time kind of data uh, platform. So going back in time is virtually impossible for most IR teams. So it's, it's really presented an un, uh, unprotected and unsafeguarded uh, vector for the cyber criminals and, and the cyber adversaries to target our, uh, our company through our weakest link, which is our employees and our customers. And so, yeah, it's not, uh, it's not that it's, it's less prevalent than, uh, than anything else, it's just that it's less visible than everything else. And, and the goal of ZeroFox is to obviously change that, that dynamic and give the power back to the security teams through visibility and control. So, so walk me through it. How, what does a typical uh, attack via social media look like? There's a lot of different types of attacks, and there's a lot of different uh, motives and goals, uh, end goals in, in, the, uh, in the cyber adversaries playbook. But there's, a, there's one central and key component to almost every social media-based attack, and that's a fraudulent, spoofed, or impersonated account. Now, this can be impersonating uh, an executive of an organization. It can be uh, spoofing uh, an organization's official account. Or it can be creating a uh, fraudulent persona that uh, doesn't necessarily impersonate somebody, but pretends to be somebody that, that it's not. And on social media, there's this interesting paradigm of trust that we have, which is one of the reasons that it's the best spear phishing platform in the world. Um, so you've got this, this launch platform, which is a profile, and that's the epicenter. Now, when I, once I have a profile, and once I have a connection with you, I'm, I'm in your circle of trust. And so now, my ability to influence you to click a link my ability to influence you uh, to elicit data and information is much, much higher. I can also target customers uh, and steal customer data and business data. And so again, it really depends on my, my focus as, a, as an adversary and what my, ta my goal is. Obviously the end goal is usually data, money, uh, probably both of those two things is the number one and number two. But if I target your customers now, I've introduced a whole new risk for the business because not only am I trying to steal their PII, their customer data, steal their identities and sell it online by spoofing uh, your brand or your organization on social channels, but I'm also damaging your brand integrity. I'm damaging your customers' trust in your organization. You know, what are you seeing as we're looking forward to 2017? Uh, what are some of the larger directions and trends that, that you're noticing and, and how do you feel that you fit into those? That's a good question. So, so one of the things that I, I like to talk about, and I'm, um, I may be overstepping here, but the death of the CIO. Uh, the CIO in his traditional capacity of, of you know, technology availability uh, and a support structure for all the other department heads and business units is quickly becoming old school, is quickly becoming outdated. Now, that's not to say that the CIOs are going away. But what I, what I really mean by that is the CMO can now be his own CIO. The CFO can be his own CIO with cloud applications. With the move to cloud services, SaaS model services, the most famous one is salesforce.com, of course. We no longer need internal uh, IT teams to build out and manage bespoke platforms to accomplish a CRM goal, to accomplish a, um, a finance and accounting goal, to accomplish a marketing goal. We can quickly pay somebody on a credit card for a couple hundred to a couple thousand dollars a month and stand up a platform that accomplishes all of these, these goals. And so that introduces a big gap because what the CIO provided was that oversight 
and the CIO typically have the CISO, Chief Information Security Officer, report to him. What I'm seeing now is a rise in, to prominence of the CISO, taking over that kind of enablement role from the CIO. As the shared services are now cloud-based and don't require that IT oversight and plumbing, the CISO is now more important than ever, and he provides the enablement for the secure use of those cloud services, those shared platforms, those SaaS applications. I see this at a lot of our customers. The CISO now has a board seat, or not a board seat, but he is invited to the board meetings. He advises the CEO directly, and oftentimes reports directly to the CEO now, bypassing the CIO if there is still one at that organization. Uh, so I think security is going to take a front seat in the boardroom a front seat at the executive table, whereas in the past it's been the back seat. We've always looked at IT spend and said, well, a fraction of that is security. I think we're going to see that change. You're going to see budget shift to cloud applications and cloud services, and you're going to see more budget shifted and more resources shifted to security as data breaches continue to grow, as the attack vectors continue to grow, as business continues to migrate to social, mobile, and digital platforms. It's inevitable that a new way of thinking about security and data protection and individual user protection is, is it's inevitable that that's going to be uh, the dominating topic. That's Evan Blair, CEO at ZeroFox. Gabby Nisri is CEO at Ayehu. He shared news of some of their new offerings at the conference, along with the trends that he's seeing. Here at RSA, we are launching our next generation automation as a service platform. Uh, so for the first time, we basically present something that uh, will allow you to deliver services and automation and capabilities that are actually consumed by mainly enterprises on-premise. Now it will be available as a service. Um, and the ability for that platform to serve as a multi-purpose solution for IT, security, cloud, IoT, is something that nobody else is doing today. So think about your organization and the ability to deliver automation to the entire organization, the siloed one. So no matter you have application, practices, infrastructure, security, now they all can consume or even work together to build automation solutions for the entire organization core silos. So with this new platform, we're going to target managed services mainly because they are now being attracted by lots of the IT organizations who are outsourcing their infrastructure, application, cloud practices. And these days they are also extending to the, to the security. I believe that managed services for us is number one uh, target market where they can really benefit from the value of the automation solution. Uh, a, because they have army of people who can really build automation practices around all these kind of, you know, as I mentioned, IoT, cloud, infrastructure, application, security, and so on. So they can build their own IP on a platform. So they can leverage that and reuse the automation pieces for customers across the globe. The second is the IT organization internally who are not outsourcing. And this is where they can build their own automation practices and they can build 
uh, operation capabilities via automation for, again, for the infrastructure, for the application delivery, and so on and so on. And the same for cybersecurity, which is less mature, but they are getting there. So we believe that, you know, uh, since the IT is much more mature and progress in how they leverage automation, I think the security is a little bit far from that, but it's getting there. And so organization that will adapt automation for their IT, they will be able to extend that to security from the same platform. As you look around uh, the show this year, what are some of the, the themes that you see? What are some of the things that strike you or the, the direction that cybersecurity is headed? So I think automation and orchestration is now a big buzzword. Um, I've been here a year ago and it was noisy, but this year it's already crowded. Um, there are tens of vendors who are coming with their promise of automation orchestration for cybersecurity. And so, and we see also how VCs are attracted by this market segment. And so we see lots of investments in this area and lots of buzz. And I think the noise is much greater than what the reality is really uh, facing. You know, CISO offices are really crowded with tons of tools and here another one. And CISO are yet to figure out what they can do with that. So I think it's uh, it's it's number one uh, theme that I, I see here, um, and I think for us it's great because it uh, raised the awareness of you know automation and orchestration and how it is important for uh, security operations to be able to scale their business. Um, many people talks about the lack of people that they can you know find and hire for their security operations. I believe it's it's true. So it's really hard to find these guys who can manage SOC and you know 24 by 7 operations. Um, but I think it's important to understand that you need people also to deploy these tools. And if they are too complex, coming with too much scripts inside, you probably could fail. If it's a too close, like a black box, it's also limiting you. So it's going to fail. So I think you need to find something more flexible, something that you can scale, and something you can actually build your practices on top of. Gabby Nizri from IEHU. We give the last word in our RSA conference review to Jason Porter, Vice President of Security Solutions at AT&T. It was really interesting this year. I think it continues to evolve, you know, having been a part of uh, the security industry for uh, a number of years, uh, you know, really the evolution is is one of the most interesting things to me. Uh, you know, you you constantly see sort of new flashy technology, uh, whether it's CASBs or next generation firewalls or threat. You know, those have been some of the themes of previous years. Uh, I, I thought obviously those were still in um, still present in this year's RSA. Uh, heard a lot about IoT security. Heard a lot about um, about threat and new threat capabilities. But I also think that the industry is maturing as a whole and 
you could see, uh, you know, a lot of customers asking um, much deeper questions. You know, how am I going to operate this? How am I going to do this efficiently? You know, the questions and discussions really evolved from just the flashiest, newest technology to real security operations and basics about how do you build that strategy given the multitude of opportunities from a technical perspective. So I was really encouraged by just the evolution of, of thinking around uh, you know, the practical nature of uh, solving security challenges. And that's our CyberWire 2017 RSA Conference Special Edition. Thanks to everyone who took the time out of their busy RSA Conference schedules to meet with us, and thanks to you for listening. The CyberWire podcast is produced by Pratt Street Media. Our editor is John Petrick. Our social media editor is Jennifer Iben. Technical editor is Chris Russell. Executive editor is Peter Kilpie. And I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a message from CyberBit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need CyberBit. CyberBit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills, all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. CyberBit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. <laughs>